Well, welcome everyone. I've, um, um, there are times I don't know where I am. Um, you know, somewhere in the sky, in India, I don't know. But uh, I'm so glad that you had the opportunity to hear um, Dr. Al Tizan. He's an amazing man of God. Uh, and I'm hoping that, you know, when I have to go to different places, uh, you get these amazing people that come and uh, preach their best sermons um, and uh, share their heart with, uh, with Redeemer Life. Um, uh, Mark Lee, a colleague of mine, was so delighted to be here. And, uh, and then last week, Al Tizan. Um, he's an amazing man of God. Um, and he shared a little bit about the... Uh, the time he had here with you all. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for these opportunities. I'm also thankful for the opportunity to go to places like um, I was in, uh, I was preaching in Pune last uh, Sunday. Um, it seems like it was a long time ago, but it was just last Sunday. Um, um, got to meet uh, a number of people who have very recently come to come to know the Lord, um, people that have um, uh, been um, the, the focus of outreach. So um, uh, Joe talked about outreach. Uh, we talked about um, uh, the angel tree outreach to families that are going through very hard times. Uh, there are friends and uh, those people who we associate with in places like uh, uh, India and Colombia and Brazil and all over the world who are doing similar stuff and it's important for us to be brothers and sisters together. Um, uh, at this church service I got to meet um, women who have very recently come out of sexual slavery and have committed their life to Jesus. It's so fascinating for them to 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 uh, to to come out and say, Jesus has healed me, and uh, those evil people don't have control over my life anymore. And you see the joy on their faces. It's so fascinating. Um, I'm sure those of you who have been to Pune, you don't even know where Budwarpet is, because, you know, whoever goes to Budwarpet, unless um, you're searching for people whom you would do bad things to. Uh, but these people have come out from there, and uh, it, it's so fascinating then to engage with those women who reach out to these people and show the love of Christ and, and go and encounter evil people, uh, go and encounter madams who are doing bad things to, to younger girls from... Uh, from Nepal and from Bangladesh and all over. And, and the people who are reaching out to them are themselves orphans of um, in the Panditaramabai ashram, Panditaramabai mission. These are orphans who are trained by sisters of Panditaramabai mission. And I, hopefully I, I, I would be able to take you all sometime to these places because it is fascinating to see how one woman's dream of rescuing girls from awful situations in the late 1800s is bearing fruit even today 
And these girls, who are now the product of the training of Pandita Ramabai mission, are able to go to Mumbai, are able to go to Pune, are able to go to Delhi and Calcutta, and reach out to people who are in bad situations. I walk the streets of Mumbai in these places like Kamatipur and all that, and you would see these young women who are reaching out to these other women, and we'll go and give them a hug and say, Jesus loves you, and I love you. It's so fascinating to see that. And I was in tears when I, when I saw uh, what these amazing, amazing women of God are doing. Um, it's, it's what the gospel is all about, right? The transformative work of the gospel is so fascinating. And yet, um, those people who have reached out throughout the history of Christianity have gone through hard times. And that is one of the things that I would want us to reflect on today as we focus on Philippians chapter 3. But before we do that, um, may I request maybe one of you or a couple of you to pray for this work that's going on in in Pune and Mumbai. Pray for protection for um, these young women from Pandita Ramabai Mission who are reaching out in places, hard places like Mumbai and, and Pune. Um, would you arise and let's read this text from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, I know we read it in English, and English is a rather useless language. It uh, doesn't get to the core of so many times um, the, the, the Greek text or the Hebrew in the case of the Old Testament. So it begins with further. Um, the, the Greek word there is, uh, gives, us, uh, gives a note of finality. Finally is how I would translate it. And, and you would find that Paul so often will Use that word, loipon in Greek, finally, where everyone will say, oh, let's pay attention, let's pay attention. So instead of further, would you say finally? All right. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever was gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. We want to thank you for worship. And as we press on as a church, O oh Lord, pray that you'd enable us to know what it is to know you. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, our whole being wants to know you, O oh Lord. We as a community of the redeemed in the Messiah want to know you. So touch our lives as we reflect on your word. In the name of the living word of God, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Do be seated. Do be seated. Our time, I notice, goes away pretty quickly, and, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, so I'm going to pretty quickly run through 10 lessons that come from a prisoner, uh, from, from, from someone who's in prison, not, not, not a prisoner, but, but someone who's been in prison. Now, you know, the, uh, Paul is writing this letter from very, very deep form of imprisonment. What used to happen is during the time of emperors like Nero and Domitian, um, there is actually a story that the emperor Nero decided to destroy a fairly large part of Rome because he wanted to construct his own palaces and those kinds of things. And, and so when, when Rome was on fire, he decided that um, he's got to do something about it. So he put the blame on those Jewish followers of Jesus. And he persecuted them and put them in prison. Awful things happened to, to, to those early Christians. Here is a writing from from one of the, the, the historians um, who talks about, uh, whose name is Tacitus. He says, um, all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the propitiations of the gods did not banish the sinister belief that the conflagration was the result of an order. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fashioned the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, these Jewish Christians. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty of being Jewish Christians, and then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much for the crime of firing the city, 
as of hatred against mankind. And so that is the context in which you have Paul put in prison. And as he, as he writes this letter, we've gone through chapter 1, chapter 2, where he asks people to look at Jesus, the one who became man and died for us on the cross. And that, let that be your example, says, says Paul, over and over and over again. And then in this, in, in this chapter 3, as we enter into the final stages of his letters, uh, of this letter to the Philippians, he, he begins with the word finally. It's, it's almost like he is urging the disciples of Jesus to think about their lives. Throughout you'll find him using this word, finally, 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 finally. It's almost like, like a preacher, right? Preachers usually say, and my final word is, and then he will go on for half an hour or an hour after that. Have you heard preachers like that? Maybe like you know, finally I say this, and then you go on for another hour. Um, but that's not the sense you get. It's almost a sense where Paul knows that he will be tortured and tortured to death. And that's what happened to Paul. He was tortured to death in this prison. All the disciples of Jesus, the first 12 disciples, were tortured to death. The only one who lived till an older age was John. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Paul knew that words that he said were important. And I think there's something that we need to learn from that, right? I think we need to learn, if only we would realize that maybe the words I say Maybe the last words I speak, the last things I think, maybe the final things I think, we would probably make decisions differently. And Paul is urging his disciples, the church, to think about those things. Loipon, finally, finally. Finally, you'll find them saying this in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It's one of those words that's used over and over again. And it's almost like henceforth, henceforth, finally, finally, finally. And, and my sense is that we as Christians ought to take that seriously, isn't it? Um, finally, finally. In the context of persecution or whatever it be, um, our actions would probably be different. Our words would probably be different if we only realized that maybe that was the final thought I thought or the final thing I said. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So you find Paul saying this, saying, finally, my brothers and sisters. And then he goes on to say, rejoice, rejoice. That's one of the things that Paul uses over and over and over again. You know, you would say, you're in jail. You're being tortured. What is it to rejoice about? But you know, 
I saw that when I went to India, when I went to the red light district in, in, in Pune and then in Mumbai, Kamatipur, there is this dramatic change that takes place. I, I saw the people who were on the streets and, and you look into their eyes and, and you see nothing there. There's so much depression. There's so much spiritual poverty, if you will. And yet when they find Jesus, there's this joy that comes on their faces. It's, you cannot put it in words. It's something that psychology cannot even address. And, and that seems to be what Paul is addressing here. He says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And the, and the people who are receiving this letter are saying, what are you talking about? You are there, you're suffering, you've been beaten up every day over and over again. You want us to rejoice and you want to rejoice. But that's the beauty of Christianity, isn't it? It's a joy that is beyond our imagination. It's so deep. It's, it's something that cannot be... Um, it cannot be put in words. It cannot be described in psychological categories. And so Paul says, rejoice, rejoice. Let it, let it come from deep within you. Uh, and, and when you focus on, on the joyful presence of Christ, all the hardships of this world, and things that you're going through will seem like, like pittance. It's, it's nothing. So rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Um, the, the word that is used uh, over and over again is often also translated as, uh, as praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's one of the things that, that that's, that's a greeting that I heard from these women that were taken out of these horrible places they would come and they'll fold their hands and they'll say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And they'll say, come on, you've just come out of this horrible place. But they'll say, praise the Lord. That's beautiful, right? I, you know, that's, that's a greeting that we should also probably bring into our situations. Let's praise the Lord. Let's, let's, let's be joyful in the Lord. Can you say that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Is that a greeting in Korean churches also? Yeah? How is it said? Oh. <laughs> he left his Korean. <laughs> what do you think? Is there a word? Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's okay. But praise the Lord. And they would say it in English for some reason. Praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Um... And it's, 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 it's something that is beyond one's imagination. How can you rejoice right in the midst of suffering? But that's what Christians have done throughout the history of the church. There's pain, there is sorrow, and yet unimaginably there is joy. And that's not superficial joy. It's joy that comes from deep within. So Paul says, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. And then the second thing I want you to do is to beware of those people. And he calls them dogs. Can you believe it? And it's there in the Bible. Do you, would you like to call people a dog? No? 
That's a rather mean thing to do, right? Beware of those dogs. So why do you think Paul is saying that? Why do you think he calls them dogs? Actually, the word that is used um, is, is a lot more powerful in the Greek. It describes, it describes men who take women into those bad situations, into sexual trafficking. And the word that's used for them is this word, kelab, in, in Hebrew um, and, and, and in Greek. So, and, and you find the same thing in Indian situations where people who do evil stuff of that sort are called dogs. And so he's referring to certain people who, who put upon Christians um, something that is unattainable. It is, it's taking away your joy. It's imposing on people additional things that you ought to be doing. So in this case, it is circumcision. You want to be a Christian? Become circumcised first as adults. Um, that's the only way in which you can become a follower of Jesus. And, and Paul goes on to say, don't listen to people who make the Christian life unattainable. Now, I know that, you know, nowadays that's not an issue. We don't, uh, we don't have those kinds of issues today in the modern church. But, but believe me, I've gone into churches where it's almost like a cult, where people want to impose on you stuff, which is a method of control. Uh, who do you date? Who do you marry? Who do you, uh, who do you make friends with? What time do you get up? What time do you go to sleep? It's rather sad. When I go on college campuses, I find churches that are controlling young people. And that's taking the joy away of this beauty of knowing Jesus. And I think we need to be worried about stuff of that sort. We need to be worried about about people who try to impose those kinds of restrictions because that's like a cult. And Christianity is not a cult. Christianity is following this Jesus who offers us salvation and that joy of the salvation ought to flow through our lives. And then Paul goes on to say, as you read this text here, he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he goes on to talk about his own life. What he goes on to say here is, don't put your confidence on your physical, emotional, and mental abilities. So that is another thing that takes away your joy. It's those people that come up with impositions that are, uh, that are wrong impositions, that are impositions that take away the joy. But there's also this idea that people want to have their confidence put on their physical, emotional, or mental abilities. That robs your joy. I think some of the most beautiful Christians I've seen are those people who just have this pure relationship with Jesus. A very honest and simple 
relationship with Jesus. And many times, if you put on a lot of theology, a lot of stuff on top of it, it takes away that joy. It's that first relationship that you have with Jesus that has to be built upon. And, and, and it seems to me that, that if we impose on it my mental ability, or my, sometimes it's racial status, social status, there, there, there is this, there is this uh, important instance that happened in the Old Testament where um, God releases these slaves from from Egypt, and they go into the wilderness. And then, of course, Miriam, who is the sister of Moses, and Aaron, who is the brother of Moses, look at Moses and they say, what's so special about you? You find this in Numbers chapter 12. What's so special about you? You you were in that wilderness for 40 years, and look what you did. You married a black woman. There's nothing special about you. And, And then God looks at Miriam and Aaron and says, this servant of mine is a humble person. Don't do this to him. And then right after that, uh, Miriam goes out and, and she is struck with leprosy. It's almost like God is saying, you want this racial division? You want white? I'll give you white. Because her stress was in being purely Jewish and she was looking down on Moses so Jesus also would, all, would, would say this all the time. Don't put your stress on your pure Jewishness or whatever it is. So in, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says to his disciples, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find the simplicity of life of being a servant that Joe talks about. And in John chapter 13, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and and they're going to celebrate the Passover. He goes to the corner and takes this towel that only the slave boy would touch and and takes this bucket of water that only the slave boy would touch and he goes and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. And then he goes on to say, this is the model I set before you. It's to be a servant. It's to be a slave. And so don't take on these abilities because that is going to just rob you of your Christian life. And then he goes on to say, beware of self-righteousness. I think that's one of the problems that we see so often in, in the modern Christian church where we have this idea that we are individualistic. This is my righteousness. Look how righteous I am. And, and Paul goes on to say, beware of that self-righteousness. That will take away that joy. And then he goes on to say, hold on to your faith. Hold on to your faith. Your pure faith in Jesus. And, and get rid of this idea that, you're, um, that, that you have certain things that you should you should consider as gain. Um, uh, let me read on the text here. It says, he uh, says, whatever I counted as gains, verse 7, to me were now considered, I, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
For what is more, I consider everything a loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or the legal demands of the Pharisees, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he goes on to say, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. That is the goal, the simple goal that Paul sets before his disciples. He says, I know I'm in prison and I'm going through a hard time, but even right here, my one goal, my only goal is to know Christ. All the rest of the knowledge that I gained from Gamaliel and all that, all the major rabbis of that time, I, I consider that as rubbish. That's, that's nothing. I just want to know Christ. And it seems to me that that is the simple faith of Redeemer life, isn't it? And it seems to me that, that if only we would get up in the morning and write out maybe two or three things for ourselves in a journal and say, how do I want to know Christ today? Mentally, emotionally, in my will, making decisions. And then at the end of the day, let's go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, did I know you today in these areas? I want to know Christ. And if I, have suffer, if I have to suffer for him, that's okay. Whether it be in the school or in the, in, in, in the work situation, that's all right. Because it's through suffering that we know the resurrection power of Jesus. That I may know him. A letter that comes from the prison. A letter that comes from suffering. And yet a letter that says... The goal of my life is to know Christ. I think so often we have a Christian life that is so mediocre, that is so, uh, that's reached kind of a plateau. And, and we, are, we are there. We, 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 we're stuck in that, in that state. Um, that's rather a horrible Christian life, isn't it? It's so mundane. Paul says, keep on knowing Christ. Keep on going higher and closer to him. Yes, there'll be suffering, but there'll also be the joy. Would you pray with me? As we pray, I want to request you to ask yourself the question, are you... Are you Having a Christian life that is joyful every day? Is it, 
Is it stuck at a certain place and you're not able to move out of it? If so, would you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know you. Forgive me for being stuck in my Christian life. Give me back the joy of that salvation, the joy of that first encounter that I had with you. Forgive me, O oh Lord, for being self-confident, self-righteous, I want to make it my goal, O oh Lord, to know you, to participate in your sufferings. I want to know the resurrection power of Jesus. Would you pray that? O oh Lord, hear these prayers, hear these prayers, O oh Lord. Give my sisters and brothers back that joy that each one of us as Redeemer Life would know you to know Christ and Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.